You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. This edition of March Madness 365, I'm your host, Andy Katz. In this edition of our podcast, it's the ACC. We've got an ACC-themed podcast for you. Joining me on the podcast will be Louisville head coach Chris Mack, the Hall of Famer, North Carolina head coach Roy Williams, Braxton Key from the defending national champs, the Virginia Cavaliers, and Carlos Boozer, who's now going to be working as an analyst for the ACC Network, of course, won a national championship with Duke in the early 2000s, has had a... Very good NBA career uh, after leaving Duke. And so Carlos Boozer now coming to the other side, the media side, talk about the ACC. And the back end of the podcast will be joining you again by March Madness and Turner Sports, Chad Acock. We're going to discuss my locks, my bubble teams, teams that certainly I think uh, could emerge from the bottom third and get into the bubble discussion in the ACC. Here's what I think about the ACC this season before we get to our headlines. Uh, it's a league that certainly will have a strong top, but it's going to have a middle that on any given day, any given week, where you could put really any team from five through nine. Uh, it They lost a lot. I mean, there are not returning players on uh, the all ACC teams. Um, every team was gutted in some form, whether it was the early entry or... Uh, you know, just eligibility exhausted with seniors. Uh, this is a major transition year for the ACC. And that's why um, the reason being our first headline here. Louisville, I think you could have them number one in the ACC totally reasonably. Louisville should be the favorite, upstaging Duke in North Carolina. Look, the ACC media poll came out and the ACC consistently uh, has had a strong media base in the triangle. You got four schools in the state of North Carolina. So I'm guessing that's why Duke was number one. But I mean, Duke lost a lot. We know that. Zion Williamson, RJ Barrett, Cam Reddish, Marcus Bolden was a you know rotation player. Yes, they bring back Trey Jones and a great recruiting class. We're gonna get to that in a moment. But Louisville returns the preseason ACC Player of the Year, Jordan Wara. They got a big in Stephen Enoch. Uh, we're going to talk to Chris Mack about they got an injury right now with Malik Williams, but you know they've got plenty of rotation returning guys. Dwayne Sutton was on my list of top glue guys. So they've got all the pieces here 
for them to really make a strong run at the ACC regular season title. And we'll talk to Chris Mack about that. Duke has Trey Jones back, outstanding recruiting class. We're going to get some of these players here in our top 10 countdown. North Carolina lost a ton. Cam Johnson, Kobe White, Luke May, Nasir Little, Kenny Williams. Those are five guys that dominated the ball, whether it was offensively, protecting the rim, um, you know, a little bit, I guess you could say, a little bit with Luke May, but not a lot. Um, Maybe not any, but (laughs) bottom line is they've got the rim protector back, I guess, for the most part in Garrison Brooks. Uh, But, you know, Cole Anthony will be the star for North Carolina, but they lost a lot. And that's why I'm a little reluctant to obviously tab them. So headline number one in the ACC, Louisville, regardless what the ACC media poll was, should be the team to beat in the ACC. Let's get to headline number two. Trey needs to be that consistent scorer. I would like to see him be, you know, like a double-double guy. Cole, what is that decision? Where are you going to go to college? At the end of the day, we end up going with North Carolina. There's going to be a, a battle on Tobacco Road at the point between Duke's Trey Jones and North Carolina's Cole Anthony. Trey Jones, arguably maybe the best on-ball defender last season. Uh, He'll handle that role again as a sophomore. Cole Anthony's Mr. Everything. He'll do everything for North Carolina. Uh, I just think the games between Duke and Carolina are always, well, first of all, they're always great. They always mean something. But the position battle will be one of the best we'll see between two teams, two conference teams, at any point this season. I think that's going to be appointment viewing to see how, whether or not Cole Anthony can beat Trey Jones off the dribble. Can Trey Jones get his shot off if Cole Anthony, at that point in the season, is a lockdown defender? So I just think that matchup is going to be something that we're going to really enjoy watching. Headline number three in the ACC. I think we've been successful at Virginia because um, guys have grown and they've gotten into their upperclassmen years. But there is a lot being lost, and that's the challenge before us. The Virginia reboot. You know, we've gotten to a point now with Virginia where we expect them to be good. They have been a dominant ACC regular season team under Tony Bennett. Dominant. Uh, they won it again last season, had a piece of it, 16-2. 35 and three overall unbelievable run to the national championship 180 after losing to UMBC as a 16 one the way they won the Purdue game in overtime Auburn and Texas Tech in the final four all late possessions just unbelievable so there's an expectation though that they will be there again in some form but they lost They're scoring wings, if you will. They're shooters, Kyle Guy and Ty Jerome. Best defender, DeAndre Hunter, who did a little bit of everything, ended up averaging 15. Jack Salt was an anchor inside. They've got their point guard back, Kia Clark. Braxton Key is going to take on much more role. We're going to talk to him shortly. Uh, Mamadi Diakite, who hit the layup or inside shot, uh, not a layup, little floater, if you will, um, to push that Purdue game into overtime right at the buzzer. So he's going to have an expanded role, but he's not a star. They're going to need Tomas Woldentase, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. He's a junior college transfer to make some shots. You know, look, we're just going to have to see how this all plays out. 
I fully expect them to be a lockdown defensive team again. So that's going to be their anchor. The question, of course, will be who will do the scoring for them and how much can Braxton Key take on that role? So that's what we'll see. Excited to see them in their opener at Syracuse to not just open the ACC, but open the season between the two. So that's your headlines here on our ACC podcast. Our first guest, Carlos Boozer. And now joining me here on March Madness 365, Carlos Boozer of Duke NBA fame, now with the ACC Network. And Carlos, why did you decide that... uh, you know, you were done playing. There was time to make the transition. Yeah, I was just ready. After after a long time, 15 years in the NBA, I was ready to turn the page, do something different. Obviously, I always enjoyed uh, talking to you guys and being on the media side and talking to some of the, the, the analysts and, and hearing their perspective. And I wanted to do the same thing, but as a player's perspective and talk to the players. So excited to be here, excited to be a part of the ACC. I'm after doing a lot of time with NBA TV and, and Turner and ESPN doing NBA stuff to talk to these kids while they're younger, they're 17, 18, 19, before they go pro is a treat for me. You know, the other thing, I mean, we're Facebook friends. I see what you got going. Um, you spend a lot of time with your kids. I mean, you know, in terms of the transition as well, how much were you thinking about that? You know, you want to be part of their lives a little bit more than, you know, traversing uh, with the NBA. Yeah, the real deal is when you're doing this, when you're in this world, you miss a lot with your kids, right? And so my kids are now in middle school, my older kids. I'm back in diapers with a new baby girl. She's six months. Um, but I'm, Congrats. Thank you very much. I wanted to be around for the boys and they start liking girls. They start doing being a little more social before they get to high school. So that, that played a huge part in my decision making and retiring. But also doing, doing, doing being a commentator it gives me a balance and be able to have some family life and still be close to the game i love all right so let's talk a little acc yeah last year's duke team obviously was appointment viewing yeah. uh Let's start with your, your alma mater. I mean, Trey Jones is back, but they got another great recruiting class. Yeah. But the expectations are going to be, I mean, for Duke, maybe down a hair. Yeah. Uh, what's your early read on this group? Well, I mean, obviously you're losing Zion, RJ, Cam. Those guys are studs playing in the pros now. You lose a lot offensively. So who's going to step up? we got a, a good recruiting class. we got Vernon Carey Jr., who's a stud, go inside and outside. Matthew Hurt, knockdown shooter. He's got, he kind of got done if he size. He's about 6'10". And then, we, like you said, we got Trey Jones coming back, who's probably the best defending point guard in college basketball, great leader. And we still got Coach K. You know, he figures out ways to get these guys to, to win games and be a team. So I think we have a good shot. I think the ACC is loaded again, especially especially top-heavy. Louisville's very good. I think Carolina's underrated. I think Florida State could be the dark horse. They're very good. Got a size down there. And Wake Forest got great guards. So, it, you know, Pitt has great guards too. So I think Duke has a good chance to be at the top of that uh, that class again, but it's going to be it's not, it's going to be a battle. It's going to be an uphill battle. Now you mentioned Turner, uh, Greg Anthony's son, yeah. Cole Anthony. Uh, he's going to be Mister Everything for Carolina. From what you've seen, yeah. what, what do you think of Cole? Now he can play. I've been watching him since he was a sophomore, and every year he got better. He's more athletic. He can shoot better than I thought he could. Um, I'm excited to watch him play. I, I know I know a lot of people aren't talking about the Tar Heels this year. They're going to have a down year. They lost a lot as well, um, but I think he can. Weather that story. He could be a guy that can carry that team to a lot of victories. Um, if I'm a guy on that team, I'm a run because that kid's up and down. He's athletic. He jumps above the rim. Um, I, saw, I saw him do a dunk from the free throw line. This kid's really athletic. I think he'll be fun to watch. But I also think he has point guard skills where he can get his guys involved and kind of uh, be an analyst out there as well. So see him to do a good job of picking up a little left off last year and uh, see what they can do this year. You know, I was trying to think of a team that was like Virginia when you played in the ACC. Yeah. I don't know if I can think of one. 
what have you seen, yeah. you know, from this Tony Bennett-led Virginia team yeah. over the last couple of years that's impressed you the most? Yeah, I mean, the Cinderella story is crazy. The Cinderella story where they, number one overall seed, lose in 2018, regroup, everybody comes back, and they win the whole thing last year. Um, that's a remarkable story. I think all, all basketball fans can relate to someone getting knocked down, getting back up, and, and going after it again and winning. That's pretty cool. I think this year they lost a lot. You know, you know, Kyle Guy was a stud, DeAndre Hunter. That kid, that kid's, that kid's a stud too. But they have a lot coming back too. They got some good freshmen coming in. They got a good mix. And Tony Bennett, he's a good coach. You know, he'll figure out a way. And that's another team that could be that could be battling out for that that top spot as well because they have a lot of. Their, I think they're in the top twenty, top twenty five this year preseason. Um, they got a, they got a team that can. That's a good mix of young guys and veterans. So it'd be interesting to see how they come back after a championship season. It's not twenty years yet, but it, it's been a while. I mean, it's been a while. It's crazy to think how time is flying. Uh, when you look back at your era. You know, winning a championship, getting, you know, I, I'm thinking back to the, what was the loss to Indiana in the Elite Eight. Yeah. Um, Good memory. Yeah, I, yeah, I was there. Uh, but it was, it's been a while. Yeah. What jumps out at you? I mean, what do you remember the most about that era of Duke? I mean, your team was, you know, was unbelievable with yeah. multiple, multiple NBA guys. Yeah, I mean, we were stacked. Coach K did a great job of recruiting. That was one of the reasons why I wanted to go to Duke because we were playing, I was playing with seven other All Americans. You know, I came in, we had Chris Carwell, but we had Nate James, the McDonald's All Americans, Shane Bass. At McDonald's. I'm coming in with Jay Will, you know, ESPN's own Jay Will, Dunleavy. We just, you know, we, we were, Dante Jones transferred in from Rutgers, you remember. So for me, it was awesome because I got to play with great players. So sometimes our practices were better than some of our games. Like we would go at it. Um, but it was a different generation. The landscape of college basketball has changed so much where we had, you know, I came in and I'm playing against, you know, Brendan Haywood, who's a junior, um, Chris Lang, who's a junior, uh, Alvin Jones, who's a junior upperclassman. Now you got freshmen playing against freshmen, and as soon as they get some NBA stock, they're gone. You know, so very differently. You know, all three of us, me, Jay, Will, and Dunnett, these states are our junior years, tried to repeat, as you mentioned, as champions, and we fell short to Indiana, but when we stayed three years, we were men playing against men. Now, um, as soon as the guys have stock, Cole Anthony will be for one year. You know, Vernon Carey Jr., you know, we hope he'll stay, but he'll probably be there for one year. These guys are leaving. Zion was there for one year. So imagine if these guys stay one or two or three years, you get more familiar with them. You have like a real love-hate relationship as the rivalry grows. Um, but because the kids are on campus for six to eight months, it's a little different now. The consistency is Coach K. And, and exactly. Carolina Roy, I mean, yeah. we don't know how long he's going to go, but he just seems like he just doesn't age. Yeah. Um, what is it about Coach K that you think has just allowed him to, to be so consistently, you know, not just good there, but yeah. at an elite level, but also not want to think about doing anything else? It's remarkable. I was just talking to him earlier today and. The connection he has with the with the youth at his age, being so far removed from them, is remarkable to me. I mean, most older coaches are kind of out of touch with the with the new age, but he's so hip. It's crazy. I mean, honestly, he's so hip. It's unbelievable. Um, but the, the, the magic of, of Coach K is he's able to bring all these kids together from all over the globe, all over the place, have these huge egos in high school because we all think we're the bomb when we get to college. We got the scholarship. We got the McDonald's All-American jersey hanging in our, in our rooms. And he makes these strips all of us down to thinking that we need each other and that we have to go after it as one team. And that's that's the makeup of him. So even this year, no, we don't have Zion. They, they don't have RJ. They don't have Cam. But they got some new kids. They got they got some veteran leadership. You know, they're sophomores, but they're you know, veteran leadership mixed in with some young studs. And he'll find a way to, to, to get them on, on the same page to win. 
All right, one last thing. What are the chances we could ever get another player from Alaska? I mean, you, <laughs> you and Trajan Langton. You never know, man. I, I mean, I'll be honest. There's some really good teams up there. Uh, we get good players every now and then. Mario was the last one that came out. Mario Chalmers went to Kansas and, and got a chip. And then on to the NBA, got chips in the NBA with LeBron those guys. But you never know. It may be another five, six years, but somebody's coming. I'm trying to remember. Did we meet in Fresno in the 90s Fresno. at some point? Yeah, Fresno. Uh, they, they had a... Chris Heron was out there at Fresno State, and they had Melvin Eli. Remember that whole crew? That's when we met. And Crazy. Then, it's like 20 some years. Bro, we got history, bro. We got history. Now we're on the same team. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> My pleasure. All right, it's time here at March Madness 365 for our Cats Ranks. That's hashtag Cats Ranks. We count down from 10 to 1, top 10 ACC players. All right, so. This is not necessarily all just on talent. This is their kind of impact. We're going to start at number 10 with Trent Forrest, a 6'4 senior from Florida State. Uh, Forrest will be the anchor, the leader from that guard position for Leonard Hamilton. Leonard always has long, lanky guys, uh, but he needs a guard that's going to facilitate, and Forrest is going to do that for them. He's going to be a double-digit scorer on a regular basis for the Seminoles. At number 9, Stephen Enoch, 6'10 senior from Louisville. He's the rim protector. He's going to finish on the break. He's going to be a mainstay in the post for the Cardinals. Originally started his career at Connecticut, and he's got a chance to finish his career with an ACC title and possibly in the Final Four. At number eight, Garrison Brooks, a 6'9 junior forward from North Carolina, the lone returning starter for the Tar Heels. Uh, Brooks can run the floor really well on that break. He can finish, uh, work on that face-up game, but he's also embraced the fact he's going to have to be much more a leader this season for the Tar Heels. At number seven, I've got Elijah Hughes, a six-foot senior from Syracuse, originally transferred from East Carolina. Uh, Hughes had a breakout game in the NCAA tournament for the Orange. Um, and uh, he's a player that I think we're going to see a lot more of in the ACC. Um, he's a player, uh, when I say that, I mean someone we're going to talk about more in the ACC. Obviously, we'll see him in the ACC. But Elijah is someone who... Uh, you know, is embracing after talking to this, you know, embracing the role of someone who, you know, knows that they're going to have to be much more of a scorer. Uh, so, you know, I, I think he'll do great in this role. Um, you know, he, he, last season he averaged 13. He's the kind of player that could average 15 or 20 at times. So Elijah Hughes checks in at number seven. At number six, Wendell Moore, 6'6", freshman from Duke. Yet another exceptional freshman for the Blue Devils. Uh, he's going to be called on and do a little bit of everything for Mike Krzyzewski. Uh, and it'll be interesting. So at number five, I've got Vernon Carey, a junior 6'10", freshman from Duke, who's going to score more. Carey will be much more of a player in the post. Um, but both those guys will get fed a lot from the point guard position, who I'll get to momentarily. At number four, Markel Johnson, six foot one senior from NC State. He's a stat stuffer. If NC State's going to get to the NCAA tournament, Markel Johnson will lead them. Uh, when I talked to him at ACC Media Day, he's got to come a little bit more out of his shell. He knows that. He's going to be a little more demonstrative, and Kevin Keats is putting that on him to become much more of a player like that. And number three, the point guard I've mentioned many times, on this podcast, Trey Jones, six foot two sophomore from Duke. He's going to feed, carry, more, uh, hurt. I mean, he's going to be the facilitator. He's also going to be the top defender. And he's got a chance, clearly, to also be the ACC Player of the Year. 
And number two, the point guard battle that I discussed at the top of the podcast, Cole Anthony, six foot three freshman from North Carolina, McDonald's All-American, son of Greg Anthony, who played at UNLV, uh, an analyst for NBA TV. Uh, Cole Anthony should have an exceptional freshman year. He'll be in competition for National Freshman of the Year honors. And at number one, the ACC Preseason Player of the Year, Jordan War, six foot seven, junior from Louisville. Uh, he's ready to embrace this role of being a leader, be a big-time scorer, and the pressure that all will come with being potentially the ACC Player of the Year. And also, kind of like we've talked in some of these other conferences, like Cassius Winston of Michigan State, this was not anointed on Wara when he came out of high school. He has earned this, he's built up to this, and he's ready for the challenge of being the best player in the ACC. And now joining me here on March Madness 365, the Hall of Famer, North Carolina head coach Roy Williams. And Roy, you've had a little bit of time to work out with this new group. Uh, first, let's start with uh, the newcomers, led by Cole Anthony. What's impressed you the most so far? Uh, Cole's a, a guy that makes a coach a lot better. Coach is what I really like, but a uh, complete player, a point guard who makes other guys better. He's won the admiration of his teammates and the respect already because during the preseason condition, he won the 12-minute run, won the conditioning test, wins about every sprint that we have. So he's a guy that's uh, got the reputation that everybody thinks, and he's shown that is a, a valid one with our team, that uh, a good passer, a good penetrator, probably takes it to the basket as well as anybody I've ever had, at least since Ty Lawson, and uh, knows how to defend, knows how to rebound, knows how to play the game. The other pieces, why are they sort of the right fit, especially for the way you like to run your break? Well, we'll find out if they are the right fit, Andy. I'm not sure. Uh, eight practices in, but uh, I think Garrison Brooks is running better as a big guy. I think Armando Bacot coming in as a freshman understands how important I think it is for big guys to run, so he's doing a nice job of that. Christian Keeling, Justin Pierce, the uh, grad transfers are grasping things fairly quickly, really. Uh, they've got to understand the quality of their shot. has got to be a much more important issue and not just shooting everything, but uh, uh, Brandon Robinson is uh, a guy who got better last year on the offensive end of the floor his three-point shooting percentage was really good and we need it to be that same kind of percentage with a lot more shots uh, Andrew Playtech uh, we got a lot of guys that are hurt right now Andrew's just getting back to our team Leaky Black's just getting back to our team and both those guys are really important to us expectations are never too low in Chapel Hill or Carolina but I mean this is sort of a little bit of an unknown I mean there's a lot of talent but even you I'm sure at this point aren't quite sure what you have yet how challenging and also energizing is that to, to not know yeah, a little bit of both you know you, maybe it's energized because you're scared to death that may be the only reason but no there's some trepidation going out there saying where our points going to come from we lost our top five scorers you know yes we lost two freshmen first round draft pick but we lost three seniors who had been with us quite a while and all three could really shoot the ball from perimeter i'd say that's the one thing i'm worrying more about than anything else is are we going to be able to make shots from the perimeter if you don't you got to rebound better got to run better got to defend better all those kind of things to make up for it. It feels like this is a good year, though, to be young in this league because in the ACC, uh, pretty much the entire first and second team are gone uh, for the most part. How do you assess the league right now in terms of its youth and to some degree inexperienced, but still very talented? Yeah, very talented, and I mean very talented in some places. Uh, we open up with Notre Dame. They only lost one guy, and we only have one guy back, so <laughs> I'd rather start with somebody else. But in this league, there's nobody you want to start with. But, no, it's, it'll be an unusual year because so many new players are going to step forward. In terms of, I want to just go back to Garrison for a moment here, your lone returning starter. You've had guys like this, it seems, consistently over the last few years who have taken that baton mm -hmm. and, you know, had that apprenticeship 
apprenticeship uh, over the last couple of years. Um, why has that worked so well in this program where you've been able to have some of those bigs that haven't needed to do so much so early? I think it makes it a little bit easier on them where they're not expected to do so much and give them a little bit of break. And then when you do start expecting them, they have more talent, they have more experience, and that makes it easier for them. So I'm hoping that Garrison will be able to do that as well because the defensive in the floor, he was our defensive player of the year last year, defensively and rebounding, running. I know he's going to do but we need him to make a few more face-up jump shots too. Last year's tournament run, uh, you just ran into a crazy three-point shooting team on that particular day, I remember. Um, when you look back at last season what do you remember the most I remember how they made every shot that's the way I felt sitting over there and I just never thought we had any control of the game at any point it was one of those frustrating games that I was screaming I was begging I was doing everything and nothing was working but overall when you look back at the season you guys had what do you feel good about Oh, I do. I think you know, win the ACC, you better feel good about that because that's 15 teams. And I was in the league when I first came in as assistant coach. There's only seven teams in the league. But you win the league, even if it's a co-championship with Virginia, you got to feel great about what you did. And, and lastly, Roy, the schedule. Every year you put together an unbelievable schedule. So this year is no different. You're going out, returning that game to Gonzaga. Uh, all the games, the challenge games are usually high level. How, how ready do you hope this team is for that kind of gauntlet? You know, we've had very, the last five years, our schedule has been number one, number six, number six, number one, number eight. But we had teams that could handle that. I'm not so sure about this team right now, Andy. Uh, I do think that this year's schedule will be in that same ballpark figure and uh, playing uh, Gonzaga and playing UCLA and Ohio State and uh, our regular ACC schedule going to 20 games and playing in uh, Nassau in the tournament we're playing down there. We may play Gonzaga down there as well. Uh, so it's, it's a big-time schedule. And right now, eight practices in. I'm not sure how we're going to handle that. We appreciate it, Roy. Thank you. All right, Andy Boy. Thank you. Up next here on March Madness 365, we've got a chance to catch up with Braxton Key coming off that national championship. Expanded role for Key with Virginia. How's he going to handle that? In the last, what, five, six months, how has your life changed? Uh, it's been it's been a whirlwind. I mean, it's from coming back to school and seeing everybody's, all the fans, the students, just the love that we've gotten since we've been back. It's been crazy, but uh, we're excited for the new season and with, with, with the new talent that we have. You were a transfer, and you were part of something pretty special. When you think back to that run, the last three games, I mean, I guess I could include Gardner-Webb because mm-hmm. uh, you're down at, at the half in that one. But how do you explain the way Purdue, Auburn, Texas Tech ended in your favor? Um, just our, our resiliency. I mean, just not allowing ourselves to, to accept defeat. I mean, throughout all those games, not once did you see anyone on the bench or any of the coaches say, oh, this is over, Like, let's pack it in and go home. Even that first game, that was after what happened the year before, that was a very stressful locker room. And But, I mean, you would have known it. I mean, it, we felt it, but it was just coaches came back in and we expected them to yell at us and say, come on, guys, this can't happen again. But they didn't even mention anything about last year. They just said, all right, you know what to do. Just play a little harder, rebound some more, and hit some shots, we'll be fine. I mean, it's kind of crazy because you weren't a part of that the year before. Mm-hmm. What did you feel in that locker room? Because, as, you know, Coach Bennett was telling me that there was definitely some trepidation, like, oh, here we go again. But you, you, you didn't have that feeling the previous year. Yeah, a lot of guys were tense. And I, I joke around with the guys. Even in that time, I said, well, last year we got out of the first round. We beat Virginia Tech at Alabama. We, we got out of the first round. But uh, a lot of the guys were, I mean, we were relaxed. And, I mean, we were upset that we didn't play great, that we didn't play all that great in the first half. But we knew second half we had to make some adjustments and we came out on top. 
So there's an expectation now of Virginia, I don't care who's on the roster, that they're just going to be good. You know, how good, we don't know. You're there on the ground. You're there every day. What have you seen so far this preseason that gives you the optimism that Virginia is going to be right back in the thick of it? Um, just have the comfortability on offense and defense guys are already. Um, usually the pack is it's very difficult to learn, and uh, guys have picked up on, onto it really well. And uh, even offensively, a lot of guys are hitting shots and going doing well. When we do scrimmages, not just again, not just in drills, because shooting against no defense is pretty easy. But when you have guys on, you guys are making shots, and they're tough shots being uh, being made and great plays. Guys are unselfish, so I them look. It's looking really good in Charlottesville this year. How are you going to handle uh, a larger role, especially offensively? Take it day by day. I mean, it, you're right. I will get a lot more opportunity. Mamadi will, Kia, Jay, among some other guys. But just being leader, just being a leader, and uh, being smart with it. I can't abuse it, obviously. But um, being smart, being picking my my spots just to score, and picking my spots just to be a leader and to facilitate if needed. Mamadi told me there's some other secret weapons, uh, hidden gems, if you will. Uh, maybe my word, but uh, you know, in terms of newcomers that are going to contribute, uh, let me in a little secret. Who, who have you seen so far that you think will have an impact? A lot of the guys have been playing well um casey he's very very talented getting downhill scoring a uh, really good defender too i think that's something about his game i didn't i had no idea about but he's picking guys up full court and making them work for every bucket that they get and um justin mccoy has come on as a late um Kaden's done has been doing a great job thomas can shoot really well so i think that'll help out just give having adding another shooter cody's been shooting the ball well i mean a lot of the guys are just coming into themselves and they're very confident you know, thinking of Thomas as well, I mean, he's a transfer, JC transfer. You were a transfer from a four-year school in Alabama. What is it about the system, playing for Coach Bennett, where transfers can sort of adjust pretty quickly? Um, I'm, I've just been trying to talk to him because I I know what he's like. He's a, a junior now, and he's played somewhere for two years. Our playing was two different places, obviously, but um, just stay focused and then just be, being ready. You never know when you'll be ready, when your number will be called, and I'm I mean, he could play a lot of minutes. He could play a little bit, and you have to be okay with that. And uh, but there's a lot of success in transfers. Uh, Sam's up next, so he'll he'll be sure to surprise a lot of people next year with what he can do. Yeah, Sam Hauser transferred from Marquette. Hey, last thing, um, Tony Bennett got a lot of credit from his peers with the way he handled the loss the year before, mm-hmm. and now also the way he's handled the win. Uh, he's so even keel. Yeah. Great win, greatest of the year, your career when you win a national championship, and maybe the lowest loss. Mm-hmm. And I know you weren't there for that when they lost to UMBC, but w- what have you seen from him about his ability to just stay so balanced um, he's always told us just no matter what the highest of highs the lowest of lows just stay true to yourself and he's he's definitely embodied that and uh shown us shown us through his actions and the way he has been as a man and a person and a coach in the community and just just staying true to himself he's not too high and thinking he's the goat or whatever but he's he knows he just knows he's strong and kind of capable of what he's he's able to do and it speaks volumes like he took the pay rate that he didn't take the pay raise so i mean it's just it just speaks volumes about him as a person how often does he ever yell a lot in practice yeah this is the tony bennett you guys see in game is not what we see in practice so one last thing you mentioned that not taking the pay raise and, and investing back in the program what, what did that tell you especially in this climate you know there's a lot of talk about uh you know that issue if you will and and uh you know he chose to certainly table it and, and not put it in his own pocket i think it's great um it gives uh, current and former players um outlets to 
seek jobs after basketball. And I mean, no one really wants to talk about it, what life is after basketball. I mean, it gets taken away from you in a, in a second. You you never know. But just having that opportunity to look into a career after it is, has been great for guys like me, my, me and Mamadi, as we're seniors and it's our last year. And it'll be great for guys that are coming up into the program. And we're going to wrap up this segment with Louisville head coach Chris Mack. And how is he going to embrace having that target on his back of being the team to beat in the ACC? Forget the media poll. I'm putting it on him, but I'm not alone. Uh, but you know what? He's got a healthy attitude about this because they didn't finish strong. Let's hear what Chris Mack has to say about being, if not the favorite, one of the favorites in the ACC. Chris, a um, couple years into the program, and now you got a team that's looked like the favorite to win the ACC. When you look back at rebuilding this or retooling it, uh, how do you assess how quick this was? Well, we were, we were um, blessed to have some returning guys that uh, have high character, uh, high talent level. Um, you certainly the decision of Steven and Jordan uh, for us to return to college basketball was a big one. Um, you know, we're excited about our freshmen. And so I think we have a really good mix of, of returning experience and at the same time talented freshmen that are going to provide that, that foundation for our team for years to come. So, you know, in, in this league, you never feel like you've arrived, though, I can tell you that. And I, I don't think our players uh, feel that one one bit at all. Uh, we're hungry to get going. You know, it's crazy you mentioned about Stephen Jordan. One decision can change the whole thinking of a whole season. When they made that decision, you know, immediately, what was your first reaction of what that meant for this program? Well, I was I was excited for our team. You know, I'd be lying if I said I wasn't. Um, you know, I was disappointed that Jordan was injured and really wasn't able to go through a, a true Chicago Combine experience. Uh, but they all, they both made decisions that I think, um, you know, were ones that were based on fact and what the NBA was telling them. And, and so often I feel like kids make decisions nowadays based on, you know, um, you know, fluff, you know, wanting to be in the NBA, but not necessarily getting that information that says they're going to be. And I think those kids were mature enough and wise enough to figure out uh, on their own and through, you know, really good support systems that they, they could um, they could improve their, their stock, so to speak. And, and they enjoyed their experience enough with us as a coaching staff in the last year where they felt very comfortable that they were going to continue to get better. The other thing, it seemed like it happened so quickly, was this team playing the way you want to play and having the right pieces. Um, that doesn't always happen when you take over a program because you have players in place that can allow you to play that you want to play. Uh, how would you assess the way that worked out for you? Yeah, I mean, a couple reasons I think that happened. Number one, as I said before, the high character. And we got some fifth-year transfers that were really committed uh, to the cause and wanted to go out winners, Quan Four, Kristen Cunningham, Akoya Gal. And then, um, you know, I had said from the very beginning that this wasn't going to be about, you know, once Coach Mack gets his players in and we get Coach Patino's out of there, That I just feel like that's – really selling short uh, the experience that those guys that, that committed to Louisville um, would have. And so we fought tooth and nail to, to, to figure out a way to, to put our best foot forward and figure out our system. And guys had great buy-in, um, great, great camaraderie. And although we didn't end it the way we would have wanted, you know, I look back on a lot of fondness with, that, that, with our first team at Louisville. You've been pretty fortunate to stay in the same geographic footprint. Uh, Xavier's fan base and passion obviously is up there with any school in the country. Same with Louisville, but you also have the whole city, whereas you got to share it with Cincinnati at Xavier. How would you describe sort of the comparison of what you experienced at Xavier and now what you're dealing with in Louisville? Yeah, both programs um, are, are 
fans and fanatics uh, of their respective schools and, and, and programs and the tradition and and the love of the tradition they have you know is immense I'd say Louisville's a bigger fan base simply because you know we graduate you know six seven thousand a year uh, or Xavier's graduating a thousand a year and so uh, the footprint of Louisville uh, is Louisville Cardinals you know this is red uh, you can wear blue in the city but uh, we don't like you too much and uh, very very similar with the Hatfield McCoy experience I had at Xavier UC so it's awesome you want to be at a place that that loves basketball and Louisville certainly loves its basketball you know I heard you already were saying here at ACC media day about not getting too far ahead because the season didn't end the way obviously you wanted how, how much have you used that with these guys about not letting this get too much to your head because you know there were times last season where yeah. we didn't perform on a consistent basis I, I, I've reminded those guys of that several times probably to the point where they don't want to be reminded of it but um, I, I just feel like it, it's so important to never walk around entitled to come to practice being hungry wanting to improve and uh, you know oh, the, the poison that, that sort of gets fed through social media of us winning the league before we've ever played a non-conference game um, you know can, can make you irrational you know can make you not work as hard as maybe you would when, when nobody's given you anything nobody gave us anything a year ago and our guys were ready and so I'd like to think that you know we're mature enough and that remains to be seen but mature enough to be ready to go and be excited and, and be hungry for this season. So we talked about your your veteran guys that are here. How about guys that you think are solidly in the rotation that are going to really make contribute, like Dwayne Sutton, players like that that aren't getting the headlines that make this team, you know, a potential ACC title team? Right. I think, you know, you mentioned Dwayne Sutton. You know, I also think about Ryan McMahon, two guys that along with Malik Williams were named captains. And I think they were named captains for a reason. Their, their teammates have a ton of respect for them. They're everyday guys. Uh, Malik was having... Uh, an incredible offseason. He got voted unanimously by his teammates as captain. I think he's one of the best defenders in the league. Uh, his ability to block shots, um, you know, anticipate because of his IQ, his length. He'll dive on the floor for a loose ball. And then Dwayne, I mean, I think he embodies all those same things, just at the six foot five level, not the seven foot level. And then I think Ryan McMahon. You know, he's a game changer. He's shown that, whether it's at Virginia Tech hitting back-to-back-to-back threes and beating a top-ten opponent on the road. Ryan's had a a really, really good offseason. He's playing with way more confidence off the dribble, Um, a guy that understands our system defensively. And so um, there's a lot to like about our team, and we we just have to go out and improve it. And the league's health okay? I mean, you know, he obviously broke his fifth metatarsal, Andy, probably uh, two weeks ago. So we're looking to get him back right Right before we play Miami of Florida. Now his availability for that game will probably be a no, um, simply because you know once you've reached that six-week mark doesn't mean you're 100% ready to go. We'll sort of ease him back into it. But that's about the time we'll start to expect him back. So long-term, you expect him obviously to be a major part of this team? I sure do. Uh, I know that that's a, an injury that we have to be very careful with. We don't want it to, to refracture. Uh, and so we'll put him out when we feel like the time's right and he's 100% healthy. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Andy. And coming up next on March Madness 365, Chad Acock from Turner. He's going to challenge me on a number of my predictions here of who's going to be a lock in the ACC. And, of course, uh, my bubble teams and who could emerge from that grouping. And now joining me here on March Madness 365, Chad Acock from Turner Sports, who I have affectionately said sort of the better half of me here at March Madness because he takes care of all our coverage, making sure it all looks great. And Chad, as we've been doing over the last couple of weeks in our conference-themed previews here on the podcast, 
Um, you're going to challenge me a little on my NCAA tournament predictions. So we're going to go through the ACC. Um, just for clarification, we know just fact, Georgia Tech cannot play in the NCAA tournament. So we've got 14 teams to decide on whether or not they will play in the NCAA tournament. Go ahead, Chad. That's right, Andy. But before we get into these team predictions, I kind of want to bring up a recent discussion topic we saw on Twitter. Uh, Andy, we released your top nine glue guys on At March Madness, and apparently the ranking of Louisville's Dwayne Sutton at number two uh, was not good enough. I don't know if you saw this, but Jordan Wara, he called you out. He thinks you should be number one. So, Andy, I'm going to give you a chance for a little rebuttal. I know number two is still a strong number in the country, but why was he not number one? Do you think it was a valid? Is Jordan Wara just, just backing his guy? Like, What do you think? Well, I'll be honest here. Maybe that's a poor job on, by me because I actually did it alphabetically, <laughs> conferences. So that's why Alex Lomax is number one from Memphis, the American. Maybe I should have made that a little bit more clear because, to be honest, sorry, Dwayne Sutton, my number one actually was at number nine, which is Corey Kispert from Gonzaga because I think he's the ultimate glue guy. And then I probably would have had Dwayne Sutton, too. So I think Dwayne Sutton, in a true rankings, would have still been at number two. Um, but maybe I was a little unclear in going forward on things. I won't do it alphabetically, but that's what I was doing. I was doing it alphabetically by conference. Uh, so that's on me. But in the rankings, I actually would have had Sutton in that same spot. That's a fun little plot twist. You had guys like Malik Williams and Darius Perry. They were all retweeting Jordan Wara. It was a fun little uh, discussion topic yes. on social. Uh, but speaking of Louisville. Well, you know what that means, Chad? That means they're engaged. That's right. We got an engaging audience, and especially the Louisville fan base. And Andy, and I know you're high on the Cardinals, so let's go ahead and get right into your locks from the ACC. All right, so I've got four locks. Uh, they shouldn't be a surprise to anyone. And those are Louisville, Duke, North Carolina, and Virginia. Now, what's interesting here is Louisville was not picked to win the ACC in the media poll that came out after ACC Media Day. I think, uh, this is my own speculation, is the ACC just traditionally has a larger media base in the Carolinas. You've got three schools, um, actually four schools, excuse me, Duke, Carolina, NC State, and Wake Forest. So there's more media. Traditionally, there's always been more media uh, in North Carolina that covers the ACC. And so I think that's why you saw that. Now, picking Duke is not crazy. Trey Jones back. They've got a great recruiting class. But I got the sense from everyone there at Media Day in Charlotte that Louisville is the team to beat. Now, Louisville will say and has said that, hey, we haven't accomplished anything yet. You know, last season... Uh, we had a poor finish to the season, uh, so why should we be the favorite? Well, the reason is they've got the best returning big man in Stephen Enoch, uh, and they've got, you could argue, the player of the year, and that he was actually dubbed the player of the year, Jordan Moore from Louisville. So clearly the best scorer, or scoring wing, I should say, uh, who's returning. So uh, I think it all makes sense for them to be picked as the team to beat. But those four teams, even though Virginia is... Uh, you know, sort of restocking, if you will. They've got their defense they can rely on. Carolina is going to be incredibly young, uh, but has a ton of talent. Uh, Duke, as I mentioned, has Trey Jones back to anchor a new uh, freshman class that certainly will be very talented. But I can't see any scenario where any one of those four 
doesn't make the NCAA tournament. That's fair. And I can't really challenge you on that top tier of four being locks. Like those do seem like no brainers. I am a little curious about one team you left off, Andy. I'm a little bit more higher on NC State. I think they're a lock. They finished uh, with a net of 33 going into Selection Sunday. I know their non-conference scheduling was not as high last year, but they've kind of beefed it up this year with Wisconsin, Memphis, at Auburn, at UNCG. Um, Last year, going into last year, they only returned three guys. This year, that number's bumped up to eight. I think NC State's a lock. Andy, where do you have the Wolfpack? Well, so I'm glad you brought them up. Because I think they're right on that cusp. You know, they should be right there. And we're going to go over a couple other teams here. But I think they're right there to potentially get into lock status. My, you know, the reason I was a little reluctant is, um, you know, because of the way they finished last season, um, you know, ending up in the NIT. I like their guards a lot, led by Markel Johnson and Braxton Beverly. I think Markel Johnson's going to be an all ACC first team player. Front court is the question. Now, Kevin Keats, when I saw him at media day, you know, he thinks they're back playing the way they want to play, which is up and down, being sort of very chaotic. So, uh, you know, they should be uh, an NCAA tournament team. So even though I've got them sort of in my bubble group, they're a team that I think would be a major disappointment if they're not in the NCAA tournament. Yeah, I agree. I'm, I'm really excited to see that backcourt. Uh, but who else do you have on the bubble, Andy? So I've got Florida State. And that's in large part because Florida State lost a lot to eligibility expiration, to early entry. But Leonard Hamilton, every year, consistently, uh, you know, over the last X amount of years, I mean, they just are always in the mix for a bid. They always overachieve or are better than the predictions. Trent Forrest could be an all-ACC first-team player. Uh, they are. They always seem to have those long, lanky guys that uh, are rim protectors. They can finish. Sometimes they go through scoring droughts. But I think Florida State, ultimately another team that will be in the tournament. I wasn't ready to announce that yet. Um, Notre Dame is the team that I am really high on that I think will have a remarkable run from last to anywhere, you know, as sort of as, as high as fifth. Um, the Irish... People forget they knocked off Purdue back in December. Same Purdue team that won the Big Ten, that went to the Elite Eight. Rex Fluger tore his ACL in that game. Still won it. So you got to think about Notre Dame as a team once they're healthy. You know, what are they going to be like? And he's back now with John Mooney, um, who's a versatile, you know, score big that's going to do a little of everything for, for Notre Dame. TJ Gibbs is back. Uh, I, I think offensively, they're going to be a team that's going to be hard to contend. Defensively, obviously, is usually a thing for them. But I, I think they're in. But I got to put them in the bubble for now. The other one that I was immediately challenged, immediately, when I sat down with them for March Madness coverage uh, was Syracuse and Jim Beheim. You know, Jim immediately said, hey, you didn't have us in the top 25, whatever you got going there. You know, he sort of was... Uh, uh, you know, you didn't mind, you know, throwing a couple of jabs at me, but look, I mean, they lost Tyus Battle, you know, O'Shea Brissett, Frank Howard, Pascal Chukwa, you know, that's four or five starters, essentially four or five, four guys that played a lot of minutes. So Elijah Hughes is the only returning starter. And I think he'll be a, you know, solid player for them. He'll score potentially, you know, in the teens, maybe even into the twenties, but 
you know, there's some questions. I think they're going to be a team that will be in the NCAA tournament, but I think it's another year where Syracuse is going to have to scratch and claw a little at times. They open the ACC. We're going to be there for March Madness against defending national champ Virginia, and that'll be a good telltale sign right off the beginning on November 6th. So they're also part of that group. And then the one that I went back and forth on about whether or not to include them in this group was Clemson. They're much smaller, Brad Bunnell was telling me, than they've been in the past. They did win the World University Games gold medal as a team representing the United States earlier this summer. So that's great. But, you know, they lost four, you know, four major players led by Marquise Reed. So and Shelton Mitchell, you know, so their backcourt is for the most part fresh. But, uh, you know, I I think they're going to be in the mix, but it's going to be a classic Clemson. We're going to have to wait and see. And their non-conference is going to tell a lot about where they end up. Yeah, the middle of this ACC, I feel like it could be put in any different order. I think one thing about the ACC uh, this year that stands out to me is there are seven teams that lost four starters. You can add in you know, FSU and Miami that lost three starters. So the most of the ACC, we just don't have a lot of experience to go off of when we're making these predictions. Um, that could help a team like Syracuse with that zone. There are not a lot of players that have faced that zone. Uh, but I think you're spot on with your analysis. Losing those four key guys is going to hurt. Uh, Elijah Hughes, Dolajai, Sidibe, uh, those guys are going to really have to st- uh, step up uh, to get them in the tournament. I don't have them in right now, um, but I think they'll definitely be in that bubble discussion. Uh, yeah, and you touched on Notre Dame. Andy, Notre Dame, 10 out of 11 players are returning. Uh, five does seem a little high for me on your rankings, but I, I do think they'll finish in that six, seven, eight range. Uh, one team that we haven't touched on yet. What do you think about Pittsburgh, Andy? They're outside of your bubble range, but they did start three freshmen last year that are all returning uh, for Jeff Capel. Yeah, actually, there are two teams in my sort of lower third of the ACC that I think could elevate themselves into bubble status. And one is Pitt. The other is Wake Forest. Pitt has Xavier Johnson and Trey McGowan's back. They think that this is when they take that next step, that Jeff Capel is building toward it. Obviously, he was successful at Oklahoma. And, uh, you know, he had Blake Griffin, so it was good. But it was kind of easy to do that. But at the same time, uh, they were successful there. He's, you know, rebuilding Pitt from really the bottom up because the Kevin Stallings era obviously did not go well at all after Jamie Dixon. So uh, he's got good young talent. If they can stay healthy, if they can get some, you know, board help inside, some interior scoring and rim protecting, uh, then they've got a chance. Their perimeter, though, is right there, I think, with, you know, any team in the ACC. Wake Forest is an interesting uh, case study here because there's no secret that Danny Manning, you know, they've struggled. Um, They've had some attrition. They've had injuries. uh, But if they're ever going to make a move, this is the year because the ACC, as you said, the, the even the top outside of Louisville has a lot of inexperience. We're saying that top four are our locks. The middle, really, we could go any order, I think, from five to nine. It's, you know, I won't be surprised by anything. And Wake legitimately could finish somewhere in that group uh, because they've got four or five starters back led by Brandon Childress. So, if they're ever going to make that jump, and sometimes you say, well, you know, you got four or five starters back from a team that was, you know, pretty mediocre. Well, um, you know, because they finished 14th, uh, or excuse me, yeah, I mean, they 14th in scoring last season. 
15th in scoring defense. So statistically, they were toward the bottom last season. The question, of course, is, um, and the record, excuse me, was 13th. So I knew they were at the bottom last year, 4-14. Four and 14. But the question, of course, is, are these players good enough? Have they improved enough to where returning four or five elevates them into that other group? That's what I don't know yet. I'm waiting to find out. But they're another team that we're going to know pretty early in the non-conference whether or not they are a contender or a pretender. Yeah, no doubt. Wake Forest, uh, Wake Forest predicted 15th, Andy, in that in the preseason uh, by the media. So you see some promise. But do, do you see what I'm saying, Chad, about that sometimes? When you've got four or five starters back, but they're back from a very below average team, what does that mean? I guess we'll have to wait and find out for that one. <laughs> Last question, Andy. Virginia Tech, new coach, Mike Young from Wofford. They lost four starters. They lost Kerry Blackshear Jr. They do have some reason to have some upside. Landers Nolly uh, wasn't able to play last year. He's now eligible. He was an elite score, elite shooter in high school. Uh, what are your expectations for Virginia Tech this year? Well, I, I, I briefly chatted with Mike, uh, Mike Young, and, and, and I think that give him some time. He'll have a Wofford-like team at Virginia Tech, but he's got to get the shooters. And uh, they just don't have everyone in place yet. But I think, you know, ultimately he will have a team that will be difficult to play against. I just don't see it this season. Uh, Maybe they'll exceed expectations, maybe not. But I I just don't anticipate that happening. You know, the one other player that I think we should at least mention, I just don't think the team is good enough to be in the tournament. And that's why I've got them in the bottom third. But Chris Likes will be a player that people should at least pay attention to. He's a little guy. He's 5'7", but he can score. Uh, I mean, he averaged 16 a game last season. He's a player that, you know, could average close to 20. So they'll at least have an entertaining, exciting player. I just don't think the rest of the pieces are in place for Jim Laranaga's Miami team. I just don't see them on the bubble. Yeah, fair point. I I think if Mike Young can find any type of production like he found from Fletcher McGee at Virginia Tech, he'll be in a good spot. Um, But this was good, Andy. The the momentum's building. We're hitting mid-October. Uh, I think the excitement uh, and the energy around college basketball, uh, we're just building a good thing here. This, is, this has been great. No, it's been great. And, and Chad, just remember, this week on March Madness, all our social media platforms, you'll see some coverage from the American Media Day uh, that was held on Monday in Philadelphia. And then in the middle of the week, uh, we'll be at SEC Media Day in Birmingham. And our podcast next week, We'll certainly focus on the SEC. Uh, Once again, kind of like the ACC, where we've got a couple locks at the top. Won't give away how many yet. Um, I think a big bubble in the middle and then a lower third. So we'll discuss that. And I actually may have a team that I may move up in the SEC from my initial um, video discussing the SEC that I've had some pushback on. I've had some time to think about. So it's a little bit of a tease. We'll wait on that when we discuss the SEC next week here on March Madness 365. Chad, thanks again. Look forward to discussion on the SEC next week. And as always, you can find our podcast wherever you download your podcast and check out all our coverage from all these media days across the country on all our March Madness social media platforms. Nobody, because I'm there, I can see it. Nobody is covering as many media days in college basketball more than March Madness. We're everywhere. We're going to end up being at eight in person, covering nine total. Okay, so we are blanketing 
the country, getting you ready for the 2019-20 college basketball season. Thanks for listening.